Section eight of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Upon their receiving the surprising news of his death, the head manager came over to Paris and came to the house. I made no scruple of calling myself Madame, the widow of Monsieur, the English jeweller, and as I spoke French naturally, I did not let him know that I was his wife, married in France, and that I had not heard that he had any wife in England, but pretended to be surprised, and exclaim against him for so base an action, and that I had good friends in Poitou, where I was born would take care to have justice done me in England out of his estate. I should have observed that as soon as the news was public of a man being murdered, and that he was a jeweller, fame did me the favour as to publish presently that he was robbed of his casket of jewels, which he always carried with him. I confirmed this among my daily lamentations for his disaster, and added that he had with him a fine diamond ring, which he was known to wear frequently about him, valued at one hundred pistoles, a gold watch, and a great quantity of diamonds of inestimable value in his casket, which jewels he was carrying to the prince, to show some of them to him. And the prince owned that he had spoken to him to bring him such jewels to let him see them, but I sorely repented this part afterwards, as you shall hear. This rumour put an end to all the inquiry after his jewels, his ring, or his watch, and as for the seven hundred pistols that I secured. For the bills which were in hand, I owned I had them, but that, as I said, I brought my husband thirty thousand livres portion, I claimed the said bills which came to not above twelve thousand livres, for my amende, and this, with the plate and the household staff, was the principal of all his estate which they could come at. As to the foreign bill, which he was going to Versailles to get accepted, it was really lost with him, but his manager, who had remitted the bill to him by way of Amsterdam, bringing over the second bill, the money was saved, as they call it which would otherwise have been also gone. The thieves who robbed and murdered him were, to be sure, afraid to send anybody to get the bill accepted, for that would undoubtedly have discovered them. By this time my maid Amy was arrived, and she gave me an account of her management, and how she had secured everything, and that she had quitted the house, and sent the key to the head manager of his business, and let me know how much she had made of everything very punctually honestly. I should have observed in the account of his dwelling with me so long, that he never passed for anything there but a lodger in the house, and though he was landlord, that did not alter the case, so that at his death, Amy, coming to quit the house and give them the key, there was no affinity between that and the case of their master who was newly killed. I got good advice at Paris from an eminent lawyer, a councillor of the parliament there, and laying my case before him, he directed me to make a process in dower upon the estate, 
or making good my new fortune upon matrimony, which accordingly I did, and upon the whole the manager went back to England well satisfied that he had gotten the unaccepted bill of exchange, which was for two thousand five hundred pounds, with some other things, which together amounted to seventeen thousand livres, and thus I got rid of him. I was visited with great civility on this sad occasion of the loss of my husband, as they thought him, by a great many ladies of quality, and the prince, to whom it was reported he was carrying the jewels, sent his gentleman with a very handsome compliment of condolence to me, and his gentleman, whether with or without order, hinted as if his highness did intend to have visited me before, but that some accident which he made a long history of had prevented him. By the concourse of ladies and others that thus came to visit me, I began to be much known, as I did not forget to set myself out with all possible advantage, considering the dress of a widow, which in those days was a most frightful thing. I say, as I did thus from my own vanity, for I was not ignorant that I was very handsome. I say on this account, I was soon made very public, and I was known by the name of La Belle Vufu de Poitou, or the Pretty Widow of Poitou. As I was very well pleased to see myself thus handsomely used in my affliction, it soon dried up all my tears. And though I appeared as a widow, yet, as we say in England, it was of a widow comforted. I took care to let the ladies see that I knew how to receive them, that I was not at a loss how to behave to any of them. And in short, I began to be a very popular figure. But I had an occasion afterward which made me decline that kind of management, as you shall hear presently. About four days after I had received the compliments of condolence from the prince, the same gentleman he had sent before came to tell me that his highness was coming to give me a visit. I was indeed surprised at that, and perfectly at a loss how to behave. However, as there was no remedy, I prepared to receive him as well as I could. It was not many minutes after, but he was at the door, and came in, introduced by his own gentleman, as above, and after by my woman, Amy. He treated me with abundance of civility, and condoled handsomely on the loss of my husband, and likewise the manner of it. He told me he understood he was coming to Versailles to himself, to show him some jewels, that it was true that he had discoursed with him about jewels, but could not imagine how any villains should hear of his coming at that time with them, that he had not ordered him to attend with them at Versailles, but told them he would come to Paris by such a day, so that he was no way accessory to the disaster. I told him gravely I knew very well that all his highness had said of that part was true, but these villains knew his profession and knew, no doubt, that he always carried a casket of jewels about him, and that he always wore a diamond ring on his finger worth a hundred pistoles, which report had magnified to five hundred, and that, if it had been going to any other place, it would have been the same thing. After this his highness rose up to go, and told me he had resolved, however, to make me some reparation with these words put a silk purse into my hand with a hundred pistoles, and told me he would make me a further compliment of a small pension, which a gentleman would inform me of. 
you may be sure i behaved with a due sense of so much goodness and offered to kneel to kiss his hand but he took me up and saluted me and sat down again though before he made as if he was going away making me sit down by him he then began to talk with more familiarity told me he hoped i was not left in bad circumstances that my husband was reputed to be very rich and that he had gained lately great sums by some jewels and he hoped he said that i still had a fortune agreeable to the condition i had lived in before i replied with some tears which i confess were a little forced that i believed if my husband had lived we should have been out of danger of want but that it was impossible to estimate the loss which i had sustained besides that of the life of my husband and that by the opinions of those that knew something of his affairs and of what value the jewels were which he intended to have shown to his highness he could not have less about him than the value of a hundred thousand livres that it was a fatal blow to me and to his whole family especially that they should be lost in such a manner his highness returned with an air of concern that he was very sorry for it but he hoped if i settled in paris i might find ways to restore my fortune at the same time he complimented me upon my being very handsome as he was pleased to call it and that i could not fail of admirers i stood up and humbly thanked his highness but told him i had no expectations of that kind that I thought I should be obliged to go over to England to look after my husband's effects there, which I was told were considerable, but that I did not know what justice a poor stranger would get among them. And as for Paris, my fortune being so impaired, I saw nothing before me but to go back to Poitou to my friends, where some of my relations, I hoped, might do something for me, and added that one of my brothers was an abbot near Poitiers. He stood up, and taking me by the hand, led me to a large looking-glass, which made up the pier in the front of the parlour. Look there, madame, said he, is it fit that your face, pointing to my figure in the glass, should go back to Poitou? No, madame, says he, stay and make some gentleman of quality happy may in return make you forget all your sorrows and with that he took me in his arms and kissing me twice told me he would see me again but with less ceremony some little time after this but the same day his gentleman came to me again and with great ceremony and respect delivered me a black box tied with a scarlet riband and sealed with a noble coat of arms which i suppose was the prince's there was in it a grant from his highness or an assignment i know not which to call it with a warrant to his banker to pay me two thousand livres a year during my stay in paris as the widow of my husband a jeweller mentioning the horrid murder of my late husband as the occasion of it as above i received it with great submission and expressions of being infinitely obliged to his master and of my showing myself on all occasions his highness's most obedient servant after giving my most humble duty to his highness 
with the utmost acknowledgments of the obligation, etc., went to a little cabinet, and taking out some money which made a little sound in taking it out, offered to give him five pistols. He drew back, but with the greatest respect, and told me he humbly thanked me, but that he durst not take a farthing, that his highness would take it so ill of him, he was sure he would never see his face more, but that he would not fail to acquaint his highness what respect I had offered, and added, I assure you, madam, you are more in the good graces of my master, the prince, than you are aware of, and I believe you will hear more of him. Now I began to understand him, and resolved if his highness did come again he should see me under no disadvantages, if I could help it. I told him if his highness did me the honour to see me again, I hoped he would not let me be so surprised as I was before, and I would be glad to have some little notice of it, and would be obliged to him if he would procure it me. He told me he was very sure that when his highness intended to visit me, he should be sent before to give me notice of it, and that he would give me as much warning of it as possible. He came several times after this on the same errand, that is, about the settlement, the grant requiring several things yet to be done for making it payable, without going every time to the prince again for a fresh warrant. The particulars of this part I did not understand, but as soon as it was finished, which was above two months, the gentleman came one afternoon, and said his highness designed to visit me in the evening, but desired to be admitted without ceremony. I prepared not my rooms only, but myself, and when he came in there was nobody appeared in the house but his gentleman and my maid Amy, and although I bid the gentleman acquaint his highness that she was an Englishwoman, that she did not understand a word of French, and that she was one also that might be trusted. When he came into my room I fell down at his feet before he could come to salute me and with words that I had prepared full of duty and respect thanked him for his bounty and goodness to a poor desolate woman, oppressed under the weight of so terrible a disaster, and refused to rise till he would allow me the honour to kiss his hand. "'Levez-vous donc,' says the prince, taking him in his arms, "'I design more favours for you than this trifle.' And going on, he added, "'You shall for the future find a friend where you did not look for it.' and I resolve to let you see how kind I can be to one who is to me the most agreeable creature on earth. I was dressed in a kind of half-mourning, had turned off my weeds, and my head, though I had yet no ribbands or lace, was so dressed as failed not to set me out with advantage enough, for I began to understand his meaning. And the prince professed I was the most beautiful creature on earth, where have I lived, says he, and how ill have I been served that I should never till now be showed the finest woman in France. This was the way in all the world, the most likely to break in upon my virtue, if I had been mistress of any, for I was now become the vainest creature upon earth, and particularly of my beauty, which as other people admired, so I became every day more foolishly in love with myself than before. He said some very kind things to me after this, 
and sat down with me for an hour or more, when getting up and calling his gentleman by his name he threw open the door. Abois, says he, upon which his gentleman immediately brought up a little table, covered with a fine damask cloth, a table no bigger than he could bring in his two hands. But upon it was set two decanters, one of champagne and the other of water, six silver plates, and a service of fine sweetmeats in fine china dishes, on a set of rings standing up about twenty inches high, one above another. Below was three roused partridges and a quail. As soon as his gentleman had set it all down, he ordered him to withdraw. Now, says the prince, I intend to sup with you. When he sent away his gentleman, I stood up and offered to wait on his highness while he ate, but he positively refused, and told me, No, to-morrow you shall be the widow of your husband, the jeweller, but to-night you shall be my mistress. Therefore sit here, says he, and eat with me, or I will get up and serve. I would then have called up my woman Amy, but I thought that would not be proper neither, so I made my excuse that since his highness would not let his own servant wait, I would not presume to let my woman come up, but if he would please to let me wait, it would be my honour to fill his highness's wine. But as before he would by no means allow me, so we sat and ate together. Now, madame, says the prince, give me leave to lay aside my character, let us talk together with the freedom of equals. My quality sets me at a distance from you, and makes you ceremonious. Your beauty exalts you to more than equality. I must then treat you as lovers do their mistresses. But I cannot speak the language. It is enough to tell you how agreeable you are to me, how I am surprised at your beauty, and resolved to make you happy, and to be happy with you. I knew not what to say to him a good while, but blushed, and looking up towards him, said I was already made happy in the favour of a person of such rank, and had nothing to ask of his highness but that he would believe me infinitely obliged. After he had eaten, he poured the sweetmeats into my lap, and on the wine being out, he called his gentleman again to take away the table, who at first only took the cloth and the remains of what was to eat away and laying another cloth, set the table on one side of the room, with a noble service of plate upon it, with at least two hundred pistoles. Then, having set the two decanters again upon the table, filled as before, he withdrew, for I found the fellow understood his business very well, and his lord's business too. About half an hour after, the prince told me that I offered to wait a little before, that if I would now take the trouble, he would give me leave to give him some wine. So I went to the table, filled the glass of wine, and brought it to him on a fine salver, which the glasses stood on, and brought the bottle or decanter for water in my other hand to mix as he thought fit. He smiled and bid me look on that salver, which I did, and admired it much, for it was a very fine one indeed. You may see, says he, I resolved to have more of your company. My servant shall leave you that plate for my use. I told him I believed his highness would not take it ill that I was not furnished fit to entertain a person of his rank, and that I would take great care of it, and value myself infinitely upon the honour of his highness's visit. It now began to grow late, and he began to take notice of it. But, says he, I cannot leave you. 
have you not a spare lodging for one night i told him i had but a homely lodging to entertain such a guest he said something exceeding kind on that head but not fit to repeat adding that my company would make him amends about midnight he sent his gentleman of an errand after telling him aloud that he intended to stay here all night in a little time his gentleman brought him a nightgown slippers two caps a neckcloth and shirt which he gave me to carry into his chamber and sent his man home and then turning to me said i should do him the honour to be his chamberlain of the household and his dresser also i smiled and told him i would do myself the honour to wait on him upon all occasions about one in the morning while his gentleman was yet with him i begged leave to withdraw supposing he would go to bed but he took the hint and said i am not going to bed yet pray let me see you again i took this time to undress me and to come in a new dress which was in a manner une déhabille but so fine and all about me so clean and so agreeable that he seemed surprised i thought says he you could not have dressed to more advantage than you had done before but now says he you charm me a thousand times more if that be possible it is only a loose habit my lord said i that i may be the better weight on your highness he pulls me to him you are perfectly obliging says he and sitting on the bedside he says now we shall be a princess and know what it is to oblige the gratefulest man alive and with that he took me in his arms i can no go no further in the particulars of what passed at that time but it ended in this that in short i lay with him all night given you the whole detail of the story to lay it down as a black scheme of the way how unhappy women are ruined by great men for though poverty and want is an irresistible temptation to the poor vanity and great things are as irresistible to others to be courted by a prince and by a prince who was first a benefactor then an admirer to be called handsome the finest woman in france and to be treated as a woman fit for the bed of a prince these are things a woman must have no vanity in her nay no corruption in her that is not overcome by it and my case was such that as before i had enough of both i had now no poverty attending me on the contrary i was mistress of ten thousand pounds before the prince did anything for me had i been mistress of my resolution had i been less obliging and rejected the first attack all had been safe but my virtue was lost before and the devil who had found the way to break in upon me by one temptation easily mastered me now by another and i gave myself up to a person who though a man of high dignity was yet the most tempting and obliging that ever i met with in my life End of section 8